Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. This is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. Welcome to the Triple Option. Here's your host, Paul Catalina. Welcome into the Triple Option. Paul Catalina, Stephen Simcox. From an undisclosed location today, as he has to get on the road as soon as the show's over. And uh, I was told, Stephen, uh, by our friend Chris Allman, that you had a very unique fan experience watching TCU in West Virginia this week. Uh, as someone who has to, you know, do a TCU podcast for Locked On, I, I know that you have to watch it in like two different ways, but I did not. I expect to hear the third way that you would have to watch a game and layer you have to put on it. Uh, so we're going to talk about that in a second because in our first segment, we're going to talk about what's up with TCU and like why, mm -hmm. you know, they've only lost two games. I mean, they lost two games. So they've only lost them by a combined six points. So it's not like every, the ship is sinking, but the, the close games are not what they were. But first off, Steven, how are you doing today? I'm good, Paul. I always feel like, when I'm on a Zoom call, it's like a Futurama episode. And so I, I feel <laughs> I feel like those, uh, you know, like the the head of a, a person from the past that's just kind of here on the show with you. Uh, but thanks for doing this. And, yeah, it's, it's always fun to talk college football with you. I had more fun talking about TCU last season. But I am I'm always willing to talk about the frog, so we can we can suffer through it together. So I don't know if you probably don't remember this because you're you're considerably younger than me. But when the first video phones came out, it was like a it was like a just a regular you know Potts phone that had a video a camera in it. And if mm -hmm. if you wanted to talk to your grandma and she lived in Wichita, you would buy the set of phones and you would send that one to her in Wichita, and then on this little tiny screen, it would, you know, you would, you would be able to have a video chat while you were on the phone uh, with her. And I remember when I was in the store and my dad was there, and I was like, Dad, we got to get th this. And he goes, why? <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Why? You don't need that. Yeah. <laughs> I thought, oh, it's like the future. He's like, no, that's no, no good. That's no good. <laughs> it's just a fad. And then, Phones are just a fad. And then, and then <laughs> here we are, and, like, it's – the most commonplace thing in the world now. But mm -hmm. I remember that conversation with him it was like, no. And then I think like, I think about that a lot whenever I'm on zooms and I like try to put me and my dad in like different periods of time. Like dad, have you seen the cotton gin? Never going to take off. <laughs> <laughs> like you, you're just never, it's never going to take off. People aren't going to want that. Like, uh, yeah. Well, and I remember even in like the, the start of the pandemic, I wasn't real familiar with Zoom at that time. I knew what it was, but I'd never used it. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, here's this thing that we can all use. And now, of course, like Microsoft Teams has their own deal and everybody has different different video conference tools. But yeah, it's strange how even, like even though the technology has been around for a while now, even the last three years, it's become so much more popular because of the world we live in. Yeah, no, it's like if somebody asks you can hop on a Zoom, it's it's either like, oh, that's fine, or you like roll your eyes like, oh, this is going to last forever. There's too mm -hmm. many people on this thing. All right, 
Steven, what's going on with TCU? Last year they won the close games. This year they can't. I like to say it's as simple as Max Duggan had that that in him a little bit more. But, I mean, they yeah. lost a lot of NFL players off this roster. And they have a new team. So some of that is built over time. But I guess also just the uniqueness of last year's TCU season can't be lost on this either. No, it can't. I mean, I, I feel like there's obviously multiple things at play. But, yes, they had huge roster turnover from last season. And I, I guess I sort of foolishly thought, you know, when we talk about like the new Big 12 and what it's going to look like, and now it's an even more different conversation than it was when, you know, it was just going to be 14 teams. But I guess the question everybody had was, could anybody really sustain success year in and year out? Because usually in this sport, Paul, like the blue blood through the teams that can replace the roster, like, okay, we lost five, six, eight NFL players. Well, next season we have four and five star X. And so we're just going to plug them into those positions and there'll be some growing pains, but probably still win 10 or 11 games. And so I thought TCU could buck to that trend this season, even though that hasn't been their, their uh, usual MO because they had a really good recruiting class coming in in 2023 because of the portal. Now there's ways to, you know, fill the holes in your roster and have guys that can make more of an immediate impact. So I just didn't really see uh, the the extent of of this happening to where, you know, there are times where they look like a really young team and a team that's kind of still figuring out how to play together. Um, and as you said, last season, they won all the close games. They found ways to make things happen down the stretch and survive, you know, when they played poorly. And so you get in a dogfight with West Virginia, which West Virginia's defense is really good. And in the second half, they adjusted and – made that a rock fight and TCU just couldn't find a way to respond. And so they're trying to overcome that. You know, I, I stupidly said on Garrett and Jack's show before the year that I thought this group actually might be a little more talented than last year's team. I didn't know if they were going to win the same amount of games. I guess I got half that right, because obviously they're not going to win the same amount of games as they did last year. Uh, and then the other part of this that I think is fascinating defensively, they've kind of bounced back after the Colorado game. I don't really know. I mean, the offense turned over a lot of talent. I have not been super impressed with Kendall Bryles so far. Like the the stats would tell you if you just look at the numbers, you're like, okay, they scored 42 against Colorado. Uh, they scored 36 against Houston, 34 against SMU. But they're really struggling in the red zone. They're really struggling in short yardage. And there's reasons for that. Like their offensive line is is not nearly as good as it was last year. Uh, losing Kendra Miller was a big deal. Losing Max as somebody who could just run people over on third and two or fourth and one is a big factor also. But I don't know what the identity of this offense is, Paul, besides the fact that they just like to go really fast, um, which if it's working, that's great. But if it's not, then you're sort of just leaving your defense out to dry. And they got in a situation in the third quarter of that game especially – where they kept going three and out in like 30 seconds and then they're backed up. So they punt and West Virginia would get the ball back like in plus territory or near mere midfield. And that's just not a way to have success. So they're going to have to find a way to, uh, to figure that out because they're going to face better defenses down the stretch, like Texas and Oklahoma K state. And if they put up an effort like that against those teams, then it could get really ugly. 
Yeah, I always kind of felt the Bryles offense for all of its successes was the Ricky Bobby offense. Like, I want to go fast. You know, yeah. first or last, baby. First or last. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's how it that's how it felt because there were times and there are times where going fast does not benefit you. Mm-hmm. And when they lost games to good teams, that's usually what happened was they needed to slow it down for a minute and they couldn't. You would you would look at, you know, Bryce Petty or Seth Russell out there and they would you know, even they'd be trying like Kendall Bryles on the sideline, like calling the plays. And you're like, you could see everybody's like, it's been eight whole seconds. What are we doing? And you're like, yeah, you, you got 17 more. So shake it's shake and bake, baby. Yeah. Shake and bake. <laughs> exactly. It's fine. Like you have 17 more seconds. You do this five or six more times. And then like more than a minute will be gone in this game when there's only four of them left. So like 25% mm-hmm. of the game will just be gone because you waited to do the exact thing you were going to do a second ago. And that was just something they couldn't like adjust to or adapt to. And it wasn't about like some people say it's about running the ball. No, they ran run the ball as fast as they throw it. Like it's just go, 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 go. The idea is as soon as the ball is is set and everybody is standing on the spot that you're going, you're gonna snap the ball and go. You don't want mm-hmm. the defense a chance to adjust. You don't really want to have them a chance to substitute. Part of the reason that they run the wide receivers so far outside the hash is so they can sneak them onto the field, and maybe you don't realize that they substituted so you don't. And, yep. look, they made the whole rule about substituting where the umpire stands over the ball just because of those kind of offenses because mm-hmm. that was what they were doing. So it's all about fast, 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 fast. And – I think that there are some limitations to it when you don't have everything clicking. Like you mentioned, the offensive line is not great in short yardage. Well, you know, you're going to have those situations. Like not every run can be a 30-yard, you know, bust-out run. So yeah. those are the, th- the limitations that, that, that do come with it. And there is, you know, like a veteran aspect to the team to me also. That team last year had been through a lot. I mean, they'd really been mm-hmm. through a lot. Uh, Max Duggan, in particular, had a very up-and-down career. You know, it, 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 like it started out the year, I guess, kind of on a down note because he didn't win the starting win job. The job. Yeah. So, you know, they, um, you know, they had some success with Gary Patterson, but they were right at the end of where he had kind of lost his effectiveness and was worried about all this other outside noise. And, you know, he became like a conspiracy theorist about everything. And you're like, you know... <laughs> Like, you know, Gary, don't worry. Like, all this stuff, don't worry about it. Like, still just be. And that's yeah. a, I think that's the thing that's probably upsetting TCU fans the most, most is, is they had a Belichick-level football genius on their staff running the program, but uh, he had emotions where Bill Belichick has none of them. You know, like, you know, it's just – yeah. Uh, Bill Belichick would never be mad at a safety for barking at him. Like, he might yell back at him during the game, but then after the game they'd be like, well, coach uh, – so I, I saw that the, the other team's safety was, was yelling at you as he was getting ejected. Uh, Bill Bell's really like, yeah, well, that's football. It's intense. You know, things happen. And, uh, you know, we're just happy that we came out of here with the win. <laughs> yeah. and, and Gary's, yeah, Gary's written a, a whole novel about it. Like he's got, <laughs> he's got a 20-minute web series that he's ready to just unleash on anybody, anybody who will listen. But, no, those are all valid. I, I think, you know, from the offense perspective, the things that kill me, the pace of it, you know, a lot of times, like when they do break off a big play, there's just such a 
infatuation with, okay, we got to go now. And I get it. Like, as you said, you're trying to get the defense on their heels. But I'm like, man, if you just wait a couple seconds here and sort of see what the defense is in, like, I feel like you're you're working into your own disadvantage by just handing the ball off quickly and trying to to bust another big play. Um, and then in those third and fourth downs, it, it's sort of the same. It's like, all right, let's get this fire drill going. And the defense is not going to know what happens. But maybe just get the right play call in, and that can that can help you. And so, I don't know. Sonny is like he's an offensive mind, but he's actually typically been pretty, or at least in the last few years, he's been more hands off with that aspect of it. Like he doesn't want to get super involved and meddle too much in the play calling. I think he might have to take the reins a little bit more. Um, he did mention in his press conference this week that he feels like the offense is lacking an identity, and he's told the staff like that needs to change. Like we got to fix that. And so maybe that's the spark that at least gives them some more direction moving forward. Uh, but it's it just hasn't fully come together. And, you know, I, I think Sonny made all the right moves and pulled all the right strings last year. There have been some um, situations this year where I'm just kind of scratching my head about what the, what the call is, what their philosophy is. Uh, and so, you know, again, that's, that's sort of regressing to the mean as well in close games. But I'm still hopeful they can – they can turn it around, but you know, I really thought they could go six and one or seven and zero oh in their first seven games, and they're already three and two. So you have like you have no margin for error. I told I was saying on the podcast this week, I was like, Iowa State on the road, and then BYU at home. Like these two games determine your season. If you can win those and figure some things out and get to five and two, then I think in the back half of the schedule when things are tougher, okay, at least you have like more of a vision of what you want to do. And maybe you can steal a few games, but man, if if you're sitting at three and three, uh, or even worse, if you have a losing record, then this this could go south fast because for all the talk about like chemistry and and team camaraderie and all those things, a lot of that's tied around winning and losing. So if, if the losing starts to happen more frequently, uh, then things can unravel in a hurry. So they're they're sort of they're sort of teetering here. There's time to figure it out, but you. You've uh, you've given up all your mulligans already. It feels like, and you're only five games through the season. Yeah, absolutely. So you've um, you don't have room for error anymore. Like, and look, the the CFP is off the table, so they yeah. you can kind of stop worrying about that in one regard and just keep keep it because that's a lot of pressure too. Because you you go around and the fans are like, well, can we do it again? Can we do it mm-hmm. again? And, and and George is not as good now. Like. You know, Georgia's maybe not as good. They don't have all those guys. Maybe if we played them again, it wouldn't be 65-7. to 7. Like, all these things you have to yeah, answer. It would be like 45-14 or something like that. <laughs> yeah. So, all those things that, that, that go on, so it's different. I um, I do think about – here, think about this. So, Garrett Riley goes to Clemson to fix their offense, mm-hmm. which I would say that the problems that they've had are not – Garrett Riley's fault. It's not scheme problems. They don't have, honestly, they don't have at Clemson what TCU had a year ago. You know, yeah. uh, Dabo Sweeney um, would change religions for Quentin Johnston. So, I mean, <laughs> let's face it. <laughs> so <laughs> he 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 would he would kill for for, for Quentin Johnston right now. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have that guy on the roster that Garrett Riley had. Now, uh, their play calling is in my opinion, a lot better than it was. But they don't have the the horses that they've had in the past. Like, if you gave Garrett Riley, Trevor Lawrence, and ATN and 
T. Higgins, that team would average 81 points a game. I mean, that's just how it would be. Uh, and then Kendall Bryles, who's well thought of, comes over to TCU to take over, but he's taking over a completely new team. And, and, it, and it is a very different – it's not a very different system. But there are – just watching last year to this year, there are stark differences in it. And you can yeah. tell that right now. No, you definitely can. And, I mean, Quentin Johnston – well, I think you could make an argument for all these guys. They, they really miss Steve Avila mm-hmm. uh, in the middle at, at the guard position who's with um, the Rams now. But even in games where Quentin wasn't making huge plays all the time, just the gravity of the fact that every every decent coordinator was like, we have to stop this guy every single week. It it opened up opportunities for for other players, and they really haven't. You know, this is the other kind of head scratching thing about the offense when it relates to Kendall. They haven't had much of a vertical passing game yet. I mean, they haven't been able to connect on those. They haven't taken a lot of deep shots. That was what he was so known for at Baylor. I know he's kind of evolved and adjusted uh, from that period of time as well, but they weren't always super efficient last season. They always had that club in the bag though, or they could go to Quentin or they could go to Darius Davis or someone down the field and make a big play. Um, and they haven't found that player yet. So Dalen writes a good, uh, a good wide out. He came over from Minnesota and he's finally healthy. I think he might become that guy, but he's not Quentin Johnson. And, and you miss that first round type talent on the outside that, you know, when he was healthy, he was incredible. And even when he wasn't and he was kind of banged up, he just – the gravity of the defense always shifted to him. And so it made every everybody's job in, in life easier. And so they, they kind of tried to sell it in the offseason. Like, well, we got like – we might be deeper at wide receiver this year. And we got like six or seven guys that could be the number one. And I think I think it's really turned out to be more like we got six or seven guys that are good and that we like, but – nobody's really emerged as the go-to guy or the alpha in the room. And, and they're missing that piece of the offense. And it's, it's, uh, it's hurt kind of every aspect of it, all three levels so far this season. So um, those are questions that they, they got to, you know, go to the drawing board with. And I mean, Hey, maybe this is just, this is just life for TCU. It's going to take some time to get to a place where they can follow up an amazing year with a really good one. Um, because I, I thought it could be this season, but right now it's it's not looking, you know, like the team that I thought would be out there on the field week in and week out. So, Stephen, how did you have to watch this West Virginia game this week? Yeah, so I was my wife, Chris, and we were down there with her family, and uh, you that, know, we were our, we were doing this our national broadcast. Yeah, that's alert. our that's our national alert. I meant to turn off my phone before we got on here. No, it was, it was everybody's in this room. So yeah. It was all America, I think. Yeah. I think that was supposed to be not mine. Yeah. Oh, not Jack's. I'm off the grid. Yeah. There you go. That's why Jack's a producer because he's just. Oh, totally oh look! Look who's a, look who's a little smarmy guy over there. It oh, just there went you off. go, Jack. It just You're went late. Off. Yeah. We've we off the better. grid. Stephen and I have already defeated the aliens, and you were eaten up by them. So there you go. That's right. The microchip's already in my body, Jack. It's been there for 10 whole seconds. So, good luck figuring I'm I'm way ahead of you now. The government's already downloaded my information. Um, what was the question, Paul? You Where did you have to about? watch the game? I heard oh, this yeah, was yeah. fun. Not for so you, was, but... Yeah, I was with my wife, Kristen, and her family. And, Paul, I don't know if you've experienced this. So, people that don't care about sports, 
they think it's really funny that for people like us that care about sports mm. and that take these things seriously and have emotions. And so do you, when you watch a Florida state game, do you typically watch it by yourself or just with your, with your wife or how do you usually do that? If you she, watch it, but here's the thing. And this is one of the reasons I married her. I watch it with just her. If there are like the, the, the guy that I stayed with, uh, Ryan, Jack met him. Mm-hmm. Ryan and Dave and I were at FSU together. I would happily watch the game with them because we are the same. Like, you know, that's yeah. like it would be the same. Happily watch the game with them. I do not like to watch it with outsiders, even people who are sports fans, because mm-hmm. I'm in my feelings and you are not. You're enjoying watching this yeah. game. Yeah. I do that for every other football game I watch. Like, I'm invested. This is work. I'm. You know, and I think we all kind of feel like that for our team. Like, listen, I'm an extension of the coaching staff. I'm here to work. And mm-hmm. that's kind of how you feel a little bit, even though it's a total fantasy. So, yes, yeah. Amanda is a, is a huge Kansas basketball fan. And mm-hmm. she watched the entire national championship game in 2022 in our bedroom with the door shut. I was not allowed to even see or speak to her and you know yeah. it was going poorly for them for a majority of that game before they won and it was she had been so in her feelings for so long that she wasn't even celebrating until like five minutes later like, <laughs> later, like you know bill self is finally like getting up to the podium and they're given the trophy yeah so i know exactly what you're talking about and when you're around the people who don't care they it, they look at you kind of like people watching uh, a psychological experiment through glass. Yeah, and people make jokes because they think it's like, oh, it's it's a funny thing that you know so and so likes it. But so I was I'm watching on my phone. We're we're at like we had a big birthday party for my for my mother in law, and so I'm kind of in watching my phone. Most of her family is big Astros fans, mm-hmm. so I was like, I'm safe. They got Astros game on the on the big screen. They're watching Astros D backs. They're trying to see if if they're going to win the AL West. They're invested. I don't have to worry about this. Well, about midway through, somebody realizes I'm watching on my phone, and they're like, oh, Steven, I forgot you're such a big TCU fan. We'll put the TCU game on the big TV. And I was I was trying to be like gracious and be like, no, oh no, that's totally fine. I don't, I don't need, you know, I don't need this. It I have it right here. But they're like, no, we insist. So all of a sudden they turn it on. And it's right as the game turns. Like things were going well and then things were not <laughs> were not going well. And so I'm trying to hold it together. And uh, you know, the the there's a couple block field goals. People are giving me a hard time. I'm just sort of going with it. And then the game ends, and as part of my job at Lockdown, we have to film these, like, instant reaction videos. And so I was legitimately bummed because they lost, but I was also just le- – I was really just leaving the room because uh, I needed to film something. And so I left, and I didn't really say anything to anybody. And so then people were, like, trying to come flag me down and be like, oh, we're, we're really sorry. Like, we didn't know this was a big deal and all this. I'm like, oh, it's okay. Like, I, I just need to do – I need to do this now. I have to, like, do a little post-game thing. Um, and so it, it was it was a whole deal. But, yeah, I tried to avoid everyone watching it with me, but it, it didn't end up happening. And everybody meant well, but they just don't – they don't understand, you know, how invested we are, Paul, how much this means to us. Yeah. I had several – friends of mine in town and like people have been like, Hey man, that Florida state games on this weekend, it should be a good one. You should let's go out to the bar and watch it. I'd be like, 
listen, man, I, I like you. You're a good guy. I would love to have <laughs> beers with you any other time. But yeah. I, you're not me. Like, you don't – you're not in it. Like, I, I just – and then part of I'm trying to tell him, like, listen, I'm embarrassed about what I might say in the moment, and I'm mm -hmm. not that intense, yeah. but I do like to, like, slam my hand down on my recliner occasionally, or, like, I do like to, you know, explode with emotion when big things happen, you know, and maybe, maybe say some things that I don't mean, but I'm feeling in the moment to the opposing coach, who I may or may not have <laughs> respect for, and I'll just rewind to last week when FSU broke a seven-year losing streak to Clemson. I had some choice words to say to Dabo Sweeney. Did I mean them? I'm not sure. He and I would have to work that out in therapy, but uh, it's, you know. But that was your time. That's it was your my moment. time. Yeah. yeah. It was my time. It was my moment. As a matter of fact, I thought about the time that Q and I went to the Cotton Bowl when they beat Notre Dame, and I've got this great picture on my phone of Dabo celebrating, and I thought of that and be like, yeah, you're not so happy now, are you? <laughs> but anyway, uh, but yeah, no, I get it, Steven. I get it. There are, there are people who are like us and people who are not. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, the people who are not, you can't make them like us. So yeah. you just have to try to exist in the in the realm that was profound i love that yeah <laughs> that was kind of a long quote but let's put that up on the wall <laughs> yeah you just can't you just have to exist all right when we come back we're going to play a new game called but are they good so i'm going to throw out some teams steven feel free to throw some back out at me if we haven't gotten okay. to one yet and we're going to play but are they good this is the triple option on 365 sports if your business is like most, you need things done quickly. But if you're still tying your critical applications together on multiple shared public networks, you've probably been feeling the slowdown. And that's no good for business. A private UPN fiber network can get you and your business moving at the speed of light. Whatever you need, we can build it. Internet, Metro Ethernet, Waves, Dark Fiber. We deliver custom private networks and are focused on business customers only. Our next generation 100% fiber optic infrastructure offers you low latency and ultra scalable bandwidth with speeds up to 100 gigabit to run your critical applications. Your connection won't be limiting your performance anymore. It's diverse and scalable, so it can grow and change as your business grows and changes. And with a secure carrier grade private network, you'll have all the reliability you need. Contact UPN today to learn more. Fast just got faster. This is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. Welcome to the Triple Option. Here's your host, Paul Catalina. Steven Simcox, locked on Horn Frogs, with us now. And Steven, it's time to play uh, the Triple Option's newest game show. But are they good? America's fastest growing game show. Yeah, I think the next time we do this, I need to get some music that sounds game showy. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I should have thought of that before just now when I thought of the bit. But next time we play a cappella, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't know if that's going to play. All right, let's start at the bottom, Stephen, of the top 25. Louisville is 5-0. and oh. They have wins over Georgia Tech, 
uh, some school uh, with the Murray State. Sorry, I didn't know who Murr was. Uh, they also have a win over Frankincense. That's a three Wiseman joke. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Uh, Indiana, uh, BC, NC State. They played Notre Dame this week. They're five and zero. But are they good? What do you think, Stephen? No, I was not super impressed with Louisville. You know, the times I've seen them, I think they are, they're making it work. You know, they're kind of a, a program in flux. Jeff Brahms there now, which is a guy they've had targeted for a long time. They finally found a way to, to get him back home. Uh, and I feel like long-term it's going to be a really good hire and a really good situation for Louisville. But I do not think they're a legitimately good football team. They found a way to win though. Good for them. I mean, they're, about to hit bowl eligibility here in a minute. Um, and maybe they pull off one big upset this year, but I feel like this is a team that's going to come back to earth here soon. They have Notre Dame, Pitt, Duke, Virginia Tech, Virginia, Miami, and Kentucky remaining. I say they've probably got three more wins in there. I mean, Pitt, um, Virginia Tech, and Virginia, probably the, the most likely in there. But maybe mm-hmm. you can upset someone like a Duke or – or Miami, I, I don't think so. I think my, you know, Miami. We're going to get to them in a second because they're on this list. Kentucky, four and zero, big win over Florida last week. It was the the first quality win, I guess you say this. You they have this season, but are they good? I feel like this is this is every Kentucky team we've seen lately. Yes, they're a a decent football team, but, you know, we're about to hit the tough part of the schedule. Georgia, Mizzou, Tennessee, Alabama. You mentioned Louisville to end the season. I feel like this is a a group that could really enjoy uh, an appearance in the Music City Bowl, but good for them for beating Florida. I know that's not something they've done much in their history at all. Uh, And maybe you steal, you know, that you beat Louisville. If you can steal one against these really good opponents, you're feeling good about yourself, but, I uh, know, Paul. I would say I, I'm also out on on the Kentucky Wildcats. I think this is just a group that's about to hit, you know, the the tougher part of their schedule. Yeah, I I can see this team being nine and three, like at their ceiling if they got hot, you yeah. know. But you know, they, they like right now Georgia, Mizzou, Tennessee are their next three games, and you know, look if they go two and one out of that, I think that's that kind of tells you they're a good team. Uh, you know, at the end of the year, we'll play the game, but are they great? Because those are the teams that win titles. So mm-hmm. we don't know. We don't know who is yet this year. All right. Uh, first one loss team on the docket here, Utah four and one wins over Florida, Baylor and UCLA took a loss last week to Oregon state. And really, uh, kind of got, got pushed around in that one for the first time this year. They're four and one. Maybe dropping a little bit. No cam rising on the horizon. I don't know. Who knows what's going to happen there? But are they good? Man, I mean, can we can we put it with the caveat of, of, of Cam's status? Like, I think this is a good football team if he's available. And they're tough and they're physical. And they're going to win games without him. But, Paul, I mean, you saw it in person mm-hmm. in Waco this year. Uh, like, they're just so limited on the offensive side of the ball without rising. I I mean, Oregon State kind of exposed it. Other teams have exposed it, honestly. They've just been able to overcome it with their defense and with running the football. But if if rising is healthy, I will say, yes, that's a good football team. 
But who knows what kind of state he comes back in if and when he makes an appearance. I just can't really say Utah's going to be in the mix for a Pac-12 title without you know a significant upgrade at quarterback and getting this offense right down the stretch. All right, let's go to the Miami Hurricanes. Massive wins over Miami, Ohio, Bethune-Cookman, and Temple, and a 48-33 win over Texas A&M. 4-0. Georgia Tech coming this week before their first real test of the season comes against North Carolina on October 14th. But are they good? My apologies to to your Florida State blood, but yes, I think this is a good Miami football team. I mean, honestly, like what A&M has done since that game – like they have a really good defensive line, and Miami was able to hold up. They're able to protect uh, Tyler Van Dyke, and he looks like a completely different quarterback this year. Already over a thousand yards passing, eleven touchdowns, one interception. Um, this is a good Miami team. I, I mean, I think they're right going to be right there in the ACC. It's a loaded conference this year, but yes, I believe the Hurricanes. Not you know, not the swagger they used to have. But it's a it's a good team that Mario Cristobal has built here in a couple seasons. I said first real test. Next real test is the the term I should have used because they handle Texas A&M and handle them very very well. All right, North Carolina, Stephen four zero on the year wins over South Carolina, App State, Minnesota, and Pitt. They have Syracuse this week, who just took their first loss, and obviously Miami in two weeks. Four zero, but are they good? I'm going to say yes, and I hate to boil it down to just, you know, one position or one aspect of this team. I don't love the North Carolina defense. I think they're going to be in a lot of close games because of that. But in my mind, Paul, like Drake May is one of five quarterbacks in the nation that is able to just elevate his team to a place where they could win against just about anybody in the country. I mean, you know, maybe you you take away the teams that are contending for a national title, but everyone else they're going to face – um, Drake May's gonna be able to keep them in game. So, yeah, I think this is a good football team. Uh, you know, when when Mac Brown took this job, I thought this was like, all right, let me get a couple million dollars before I go play golf again. Uh, but he's he's done a really nice job, sort of turning this thing around and getting them to a place where they are constantly, at least in the conversation nationally. But yes, I think this is a good North Carolina team. Maybe not a complete football team, but they they're good in the spots they need to be to be successful. Number 13, Wazoo, 4-0. Biggest win, obviously, most important win was over Oregon State, but non-conference, a win over Wisconsin, also beating Colorado State and Northern Colorado. Cam Ward, their quarterback, is having a fantastic season. I'll answer this one first, Stephen. They are good, but are Mm -hmm. they good? Yes, I think they're very good. They've shown some... Uh, uptick on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, UCLA, UCLA this week is going to be tough. I mean, they're – but after that, you know, they've got Oregon, Arizona State, Stanford, and Cal. Uh, so Oregon will be very tough. Colorado will be tough after that, and Washington at the end of the year. But this is a team I think that can hang with anybody. Yeah, I'm all in on Washington too. I mean, Michael Penix Jr. has been outstanding and, like – I don't know if they just have one dude that stands out, but I can't really think of many teams that have better skill position guys across the country. Like Ohio state comes to mind. Um, and in Georgia's obviously got Brock Bowers, which is total game changer, but uh, you know, they, they spread the ball around all over the field. This offense is humming. As you said, they look, they don't look great on defense, but they look better. 
I, I think this team is is really formidable, and uh, it's a great the Pac-12 is a great league. Like there's good football teams on the West Coast with Oregon and, and USC, and Colorado's got a lot of attention around them as well. But yeah, I'm all in on the Huskies. I, I feel like this is a, a team that has a chance to be the dark horse there because they're just super talented. All right, well, let's go back to the team I started talking about, Wazoo, Washington State. How, are they good? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I kind of have a soft spot for them because of of the year that they're going through. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think Washington State's a good football team. Wisconsin is not nearly as, as good as they've typically been. They're sort of in transition, but – um, still, like they handled the Badgers really well. I know that was a home game, but it was never, you know, the score was never really super close, or you never felt like Wazoo was out of control in that game. Um, I like Washington State. I like Oregon State. I'm pulling for those programs. I think the Cougars are a good football team. Again, it's tough because Pac-12 is so good, but um, I, I think that's a good football team. They they might end up being like nine and three, and in another league, maybe they end up, you know. 10 and one or 10 and two or something like that. But uh, I think Washington state's in a really good spot. All right. Oklahoma. Uh, we'll do Oklahoma and Texas together since they're playing each other. Um, Oklahoma uh, has just started to maybe peak on offense a little bit and, and, and bring their head out of the sand. Texas has looked good in every single game. So red river rivalry or shootout, however you want to say it, but are they good? Texas is legitimately good as much as, as much as it pains me to say it. And honestly, Paul, like I don't even think this offense has really reached their full potential. Uh, And maybe it ends up being better, or maybe this is the first team in a while where you don't feel like you have to just have an elite quarterback. Like I think Quinn has been better. I think he's been good. Um, And he's got the arm talent, but they're not just necessarily lighting up the scoreboard every week. However, uh, Jonathan Brooks has been fantastic running the football. They He broke 200 yards against Kansas. And that defense is it, just going to travel. I mean, they're just going to play hard. They're big. They're physical. Uh, I want to see what OU does this week. I know it's always a rivalry game, and typically it's close, you know, with the, with the exception of last season. Um, but I really like what Brett Venables has done with his defense. I was skeptical that he could turn it around this quickly. That's a nasty unit, though. And as you said, offense seems to be hitting their stride. I'm not a huge believer in Dylan Gabriel, but I think they can function well enough uh, and play complimentary football to win a lot of games. But in my mind, Texas is the the big dog at the moment. So if you go punch them in the mouth and win, or if that's just a really close competitive football game, then I feel really good about Oklahoma moving forward. All right, Stephen, do you have any team? Do you want to do you want to switch it up and see if you can host? But are they good? All right, we we talked about their uh, their Maverick brother and earlier, but Oregon State. You you know you talked earlier about them coming off that win against Utah on a Friday night. Are they good, Paul? Is Oregon State a good football team? I think they are good. I like their coach. I think look, DJU. I think is what he is, but in that system, he seems to flourish a lot better than he did in Brandon Streeter's system at Clemson. So. I think it's going to work out for them long term. Um, I'm I'm very curious to see how they do against UCLA in two weeks. Uh, how they hang with Colorado uh, because Oregon State's not going to maybe move up and down the field like Colorado will. Um, but I do think that they can hang with them. I think that'll be a really interesting game, and they're they're certainly a tougher team than Colorado is right now as far as being physical up front. So yeah, I'm going to say they are good, but. 
they might wind up eight and four just because the schedule is really tough, considering the last two for them are Washington and at Oregon. Uh, and although that that Oregon game um, Thanksgiving week is really going to be our Thanksgiving Friday, really going to be interesting because there's going to be a lot of emotion in that one for sure. Mm-hmm. Paul, I thought Neil Brown was going to get fired after this year. Suddenly the ears are four and one. Their one loss was to Penn State. Listen to the schedule. Houston, Oklahoma State, UCF, BYU, Oklahoma in mid-November, and they close with Cincinnati and Baylor. Is West Virginia a good football team? They're a better football team, and I said this earlier this week, take Neil Brown right off the hot seat. Just take him off. He's done enough with quarterback injuries and all that to show West Virginia that maybe you can trust him a little bit. Maybe you mm-hmm. can trust them to develop some players. What really hurt West Virginia over the last couple of years was they really got raided in the portal right off the bat. They, it, when NIL hit, they, were, they just got raided in the portal because they were not ready for it. And now it appears, especially what they're doing on the basketball side, and they'll, they'll swing like what they did with JT Daniels, which obviously was not worth it um, at all for them. But what they, if they've done, I think they're ready to hang in there and – and and be that team so yeah I think I'm not gonna say they're good I'm gonna say they're better and the schedule like you said really really lines up for them although by the time they play UCF John Rice Plumlee will be back I think that game will be different BYU will be a tough one for them but I think they've got a ton of winnable games there a really like a ton of very winnable games if TCU is a winnable game for them given what TCU has compared to that they have an offense, then yep. all the rest of those are, are, are winnable games. All right, last one. Uh, you and I both, we we took our shots at Lane Kiffin and Old Miss after that Alabama game, Alabama game, and rightly so. Felt like they had a chance to make a huge statement. They didn't do it. Do you feel differently about uh, Old Miss after that upset of LSU? My apologies to Garrett Ross for bringing that up. I don't feel differently, so much differently about Old Miss as I am more disappointed in that they did not rise to the moment against Alabama. Like if you, I know that LSU's defense is struggling and it's not good, but if you've got mm-hmm. 55 against LSU, you could have 28 against Bama. I'm sorry. This Bama team, I feel like you could. You could. Yeah. You score half that, you win that game and control it, and they did not rise to meet the moment against Nick Saban. Of course, Lane may never beat Nick Saban. I don't know. It just may never happen for him. Like He's not mm-hmm. one of the – one of the, you know, the protégés who's won, Jimbo's beaten him, Kirby's beaten him, and Sark's beaten him now. But he might not be that guy. I don't know. We'll see. I, I think that they're fine, but the SEC West doesn't have a great team this year. That's for, that's for certain. Um, you know, and, you know, Bama might be able to, like, come out on top of this again just because of how it works out. But – it's never been more wide open to this right now, and so no, I don't. I'm gonna say no. That I'm not gonna. I'm not ready to, to 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 start a parade for Ole Miss yet. The drunk old Miss fan that like crawled up and down the goalpost and eventually jumped off of it. On a scale of one to ten, what do you give him for post game celebration? Uh, weird drunken escapade. Oh, that's a that's a seven point five right there. You okay. know, like I mean, to stay on it and keep going. Mm-hmm. As opposed to just take, you know, you got up there, then you got to get down. He just yep. kept going and going and going. Now, they serve some pretty, like, 
The Grove is a great tailgating scene. It is not LSU, which is the best, although can be quite scary. Um, but they're like, that was, I, when I'm watching him do that, that's not beer drunk. That's not whiskey drunk or tequila drunk. That is something from a still drunk. Like, that's a, hey, y'all, try yeah. this. Like, one of those things that, you know, you, you, if you had three shots of it as opposed to two, you would be blind. Yeah, and possibly a gummy involved, too. Like, my yeah. man looked like he was kind of in orbit. So, yeah. I'm not sure what all, what all he was under the influence of, but he, it looked like he had a great time. Yeah. They have legal, legal weed in Mississippi. Is that one of the states that has done it? I wouldn't think so, but I'm not sure. Yeah, well, you know. Sometimes those things lead to reading books, and you don't want to make that mistake. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, that was that was a pretty harsh shot at, at Mississippi. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, when we come back, there was a an Urban Meyer rumor that came from like a dark corner of the internet about Michigan State yesterday, and then everybody's had to check it out. Uh, Tom Fornelli had a really funny tweet about it, uh, and we'll talk about that next. This. It's 365 Sports, the triple option. If your business is like most, you need things done quickly. But if you're still tying your critical applications together on multiple shared public networks, you've probably been feeling the slowdown. And that's no good for business. A private UPN fiber network can get you and your business moving at the speed of light. Whatever you need, we can build it. Internet, metro ethernet, waves, dark fiber. We deliver custom private networks and are focused on business customers only. Our next generation 100% fiber optic infrastructure offers you low latency and ultra scalable bandwidth with speeds up to 100 gigabit to run your critical applications. Your connection won't be limiting your performance anymore. It's diverse and scalable so it can grow and change as your business grows and changes. And with a secure carrier-grade private network, you'll have all the reliability you need. Contact UPN today to learn more. Fast just got faster. This is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. Welcome to the Triple Option. Here's your host, Paul Catalina. Steve and I just found out in the studio, it doesn't surprise me about Garrett because he's quite tall, but Jack as well. They have both dunked a ball on a regulation rim in their life, a feeling that I will never have. I mean, certainly when I was a kid, you know, my friends and I got in a lot of trouble too. We brought out a ladder and <laughs> just jumped off and dunked it. Uh, or when, you know, one of my friends got the ones you could move up and down, you know, moving on down to eight feet, you know, Pretend like you're Dominique course, Wilkins yeah. and call it a day. But they've both legitimately dunked a basketball in their life. And I, I'm, I'm jealous because that's something I was never going to be able to do. Yeah, me either. Uh, how tall is Jack? Jack? I mean, I guess I knew Jack's tall. Jack's but. like 6'1". In the basketball shoes, yeah. Yeah, so he's 6'1". How tall is Garrett? Garrett's six like four? 11 feet tall. 6'4". Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, Garrett's, Garrett, six, I mean, Garrett's from a, very long an athletic arms. town. Yeah, I know. I know it's a college football podcast, but the Oglesby Tigers are ranked second in six man football right now. Garrett Garrett Ross is from a very athletic lineage. Yeah. So look, basketball on grass for the six man football and basketball yeah. on on wood. Yeah. <laughs> Good at both of them. 
Good at both of them. All right, Steven, so yesterday there was an internet rumor that was like, look, Michigan State has the people that want to get this done. Urban Meyer has emerged, and he'll interview for the job. Tom Fornelli, who's a national college football writer, said, oh, yes, believe the one guy who has none of these contacts in his phone of, of age, like one of the big name interviews. <laughs> and here's why it's funny when I look, and I believe that Urban Meyer is, especially after the – the documentary is trying to um, grease the skids for a new coaching job. I absolutely believe that because he doesn't want to go out how it happened in Jacksonville because the last memory you have of Urban Meyer is, or memories is him kicking his kicker um, and whatever he was doing in his bar in Columbus and uh, Trevor Lawrence, like ostensibly like the nicest kid in the world just hating this person. So like all that, he doesn't want to go out that way. He does not want to go out that way. And so he's, I think the documentary was a huge part of like, Hey, listen, remember all the cool things I did? Forget about. Yeah, I was I was good once. You guys yeah. remember that? Yeah. I've won three national titles. I can help your program. Here's why. And it would, I mean, it would kind of prove I mean, they brought back Mark D'Antonio as an advisor after they fired him for the exact same thing that they fired Mel Tucker for. Um, here's why it would be the most Michigan State thing ever to be like, all right, guys, we got to fix this program. Obviously, we have people that are willing to step up and pay so we can get a big-name coach. Let's start throwing names out there. And then somebody goes, all right, hear me out. Hear me out. Urban Meyer. And then they don't go, uh, here's the deal. We've just fired two coaches in a row because of scandal. Mm-hmm. Urban Meyer is a walking scandal, although he somehow manages to stay just on the outside of it. Right. But how could you, if you're Michigan State or a Michigan State fan, be like, oh, well, the only person who cleaned this place up is the dirtiest coach in college football? Yeah, not exactly uh, taking the spotlight off you for sure. And, and also, it's just strange because, I mean, I know Urban, like, Urban has been in football recently, so – there's there's still a path for him to obviously step in, but it has been a little while. Like the sport has changed a lot since he was last at Ohio State with NIL and the transfer portal and everything else. Um, so that's part of it too. It's like there's plenty of up and coming good coaches. Michigan State's a good job. Why is your first thought? I get it. Urban Meyer's a really good coach, but as you laid out really well there, uh, if you're trying to distance yourself from a sexual harassment scandal, this is not the first person to call. Like there, there's a there's a long list of people that don't have anything like that in their past. And you know, Urban's Urban's history doesn't suggest that this would be a, a good thing at all. But I mean, this is as you said, this is college football. It, his name is always going to come up for big jobs like this. Yeah, I saw Bud Elliott mention that it's the new Bob Stoops rumor. Mm. That like, oh yeah, they're, they're calling Bob Stoops. You know, FSU was good. Bob Stoops, that's who they were going to call. They got to yeah, get Bob like Stoops. At practice or whatever. Yeah, that, you know, pr- yeah. yeah, he was at practice. Like, I mean, he might have been, but he wasn't there interviewing, you know, like all that. Urban, and, and look, here's the deal Urban Meyer is going to travel around the country with Fox because he did it before with ESPN, where he took his year between Ohio State and Florida, mm-hmm. worked for ESPN, and essentially would like walk into places and interview for jobs. So, um, you know, not necessarily, but like throw it out there. Like, Hey, I certainly enjoy the campus here at so-and-so university. 
I would I love to coach it one time. Yeah. Just saying, just saying like, this is a lovely campus. You have wonderful people in charge who I've here have deep pockets. I would like to meet those people and shake their hand just as a common courtesy that you do when we are at all these places on a Wednesday, <laughs> like that's, that's what, that's what he, he was doing. And I, I, I you know, he's going to pop up for Michigan state and then there's going to be some schools that get desperate. Right. And then they're going to say, I don't care about any of the other stuff. Let's just go hire Urban Meyer because we, we know he's going to win. Which, look, mm -hmm. if you do hire Urban Meyer, he is going to win because there is no line he will not cross. So, Well, and uh, let me ask you this. I know this is a, a different situation because it seems like it's just one person being like, hey, I'll report this and I'll get, I'll, I'll get some clicks. But is this Urban – like, is this, is this Urban's team being like – Hey, maybe we'd like this. And then when somebody asked him directly about it, he's like, Oh no, I, you know, I would never, I would never consider it. Is this just urban making himself available? Because like you said, when he was the DSP and he would do that. And Mike Gundy kind of did this. Like Mike was just a guy that was like, yeah, I'd like to take a private flight somewhere and maybe eat a nice dinner and talk to somebody about <laughs> yeah. a, a potential job. I don't really want to leave Stillwater, but if you're going to put me in a, in a jet, like, yeah, that seems like an experience I'd like to have. So I'll, I'll take a, a cross country flight and, have dinner with a few people. Um, do you feel like Urban is driving the the so-called rumors and interests that are happening? He, he might have not done this one, but now that it's out there, it would not surprise me to see him see, like, what could happen. Because Michigan mm -hmm. State would be crazy. Like, Larry Nasser University would be crazy to hire Urban Meyer. Would be crazy yeah. to do it. Because you cannot justify away everything. Well, that was, that was my assistant coach doing that. It wasn't me. Well, that was the players. It wasn't me. Like, none of this was me. I just happened to be here and be in charge of bringing all these people in here and paying them or coaching them. But they make their own decisions was kind of Urban Meyer's deal. Mm -hmm. And then, and part of the reason I think you saw, like, the thing in the documentary that, that stuck out to me about Urban trying to get back on that was they were talking about a player that he kicked off the team that died of a drug overdose. And Urban was so convinced that that was totally his fault that he took football away from him. That's why he would never kick a player off the team again. Yet, two years after that, he kicked Cam Newton off the team. So, I don't, I don't know. I, I think Cam Newton got kicked off the team not because he stole a laptop, but because Cam Newton's ego was so gigantic that Urban couldn't deal with it. That's why I think it, it happened. That's my personal theory. Not that to justify Cam Newton stealing someone's laptop, but um, based on the crimes committed by the players on that Florida team, uh, laptop theft is low on the totem pole. Yeah, it's not at the top. Do you get the sense that Urban is a guy that would – I mean, like Cal is a bad example because they don't have the pockets, but I'm just saying, do you feel like there's five or ten jobs that he's got a piece of paper that he's like, okay – these are the ones that if they come open, I'm going. Or is he so – does he get to a point where he's so ready to get back in the game that he leaves the cushy TV job and is like, yeah, if, you know, if if things went south at Mizzou and all of a sudden they called me, I'll I'll pack up and go there just because I want to I want to coach again. No, I think he's – look, he's, if, if, if what happened with Jim Trestle didn't happen at Ohio State, he may never have gotten that job. Mm -hmm. It might be somebody like it honestly might be Luke Fickle at this point because he was in 
the Trestle tree, right? He played for Trestle. Like Luke Fickle might be the coach at Ohio State right now because Trestle would probably be retired and Fickle would have been like the, the guy that they, they brought on. The Ryan Day, so to speak, to, to, uh, to Jim Trestle. Uh, so that to me, uh, and he because he was the interim. Luke Fickle was the interim that year that they had to let Trestle go. Uh, yeah. and, and the one bad year in Ohio State football in like the last 50 uh, as well. That's how good they've been. There's a reason that when he left Florida, for whatever reasons those were, health problems and all the stuff that was going on with him, that he, when Ohio State came open, that and his connection to Earl Bruce and, and all that, that he made a beeline for that job. Like he's going to pick, like it would have to be a Notre Dame Florida again. I don't think that that's outside the, the realm of possibility. It's got to be a team that has the resources for him to compete at the level he wants to compete at that he doesn't have to convince to do it. So it wouldn't be a Mizzou where he'd have to go in there and build them up because he's not going to stay anywhere very long anymore. Like it would that's be, yeah. it would be like a five to seven year hitch. Mm-hmm. Let me see if I can do what I did at Florida, win a national title in the first couple of years, and let's see where it's at after that. That's what he would want to do. So with the portal, you can certainly do it a lot better now, but it would have to be a school that is ready to pay him $10 million a year, spend another $10 million in, in, uh, in NIL over a couple years, you know, all those things to make sure he got what he wanted. So I think that list is limited, and there's places that would never hire him in a million years. Like Jim Harbaugh goes to the NFL next year. You know, Michigan's not going to call up Urban Meyer. That's not, there's, there's no way. They could not sell that. Like mm-hmm. they could not sell that to their fans at all. So, but it is strange. Like Michigan State, though, they are in that spot, right? Where the Big Ten's about to get really huge. And the four teams that they brought in, like the difference between the Big Ten and the Big 12, both bringing in four Pac 12 teams, is one of the teams in the Pac 12 is the two time defending champion is going to the Big 12. But the other teams, that are going into the Big 12. Colorado's good now, but Arizona and Arizona State have been a mess for a long time. And then Oregon, Washington, USC, and UCLA are all good right now. So Michigan State could theoretically react by going, yeah, we've got to get whoever we can, but they can't. I mean, I I would just be – it would be the most Michigan State thing ever to be like, yeah, I didn't even notice what went on before. What's all that was all their people. That was Urban. He's he's a bastion of – uh, you know, goodness and hope. I, I don't think that's, I don't think they can sell that to their people. Now, there are a lot of other coaches that they may take a big swing at because clearly, look, Mel Tucker was the, you saw the numbers yesterday, Stephen. He was the fifth highest paid coach in the country. They're waiting. Yeah, I mean, they like, they rushed to pay him. It yeah. was like, oh, one good season. Here you go, buddy. Here's, yeah. here's a new contract. Uh, and, and you're right. Like, Michigan State is one of those teams, like, it's, it's a big brand, but, they're one of those teams that you you do wonder, like, okay, if somebody kind of gets lost in the shuffle here, you already had a, a program that was sort of middling, and then this this situation with Tucker happens, and so now you're having to basically start from scratch again. Uh, it could go one of two ways, and so it, it's a very pivotal hire. So, yeah, I understand why they're after all the big names, but Urban Meyer just can't be the guy. No, and again, are you looking for long-term success or, you know, kind of a rocket ship before you have more problems because Michigan mm-hmm. state cannot afford more problems. They just, they just can't. All right, Steven, uh, enjoy. Uh, I know you're headed out of town right after this. Thanks for taking the time to hop on before you left. Uh, and, uh, we will talk to you again next week and we'll see, hopefully you're feeling a little bit better 
than you you were this week. Thank you, Paul. If they lose to Iowa State, I probably won't be here. So good, good luck to everybody. <laughs> well, Steven is like, he's on Zoom, but he's just laying on the floor. He <laughs> <laughs> just kind of like rolls over on his side to look at me when I ask him a question like, hey, how do you feel about uh, Colorado after last week? Yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I've been, yeah, we, we we lost to Matt Campbell after he was good, so I can't I can't talk about anything. <laughs> yeah. All right, Stephen, thank you so much. Uh, big show today. Uh, we've got Tim Brando. We've got Mac Rhodes. Uh, who else do we have today? Uh, Scott Drew today. Um, uh, Joey McGuire for crying out loud. Uh, so tons of tons of great guests on the big show this afternoon, 365 Sports. That comes up in an hour at 3 o'clock. Stephen, have a good one. Thanks for watching, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow. If your business is like most, you need things done quickly. But if you're still tying your critical applications together on multiple shared public networks, you've probably been feeling the slowdown. And that's no good for business. A private UPN fiber network can get you and your business moving at the speed of light. Whatever you need, we can build it. Internet, Metro Ethernet, Waves, Dark Fiber. We deliver custom private networks and are focused on business customers only. Our next generation 100% fiber optic infrastructure offers you low latency and ultra scalable bandwidth with speeds up to 100 gigabit to run your critical applications. Your connection won't be limiting your performance anymore. It's diverse and scalable, so it can grow and change as your business grows and changes. And with a secure carrier-grade private network, you'll have all the reliability you need. Contact UPN today to learn more. Fast just got faster.